Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Priti continues to teach from the new series, The Gospel According to Paul, where he teaches from the book of Romans. In this sermon, Pastor Priti is teaching from Romans 3 on how God is a just judge and also the justifier who makes us righteous through the propitiation work of Jesus on the cross. of Romans chapter 3 and verse 1 onwards it says then what's the advantage of being a Jew is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision now this verse may look out of context because what are you talking about but if you read the previous verses you'll understand paul is saying that A true Jew is not somebody who has had external circumcision. A true Jew is the one that has had a circumcision of heart. You remember that? A change of heart uh, that is produced by the Holy Spirit, that is produced by the renewal of mind. Uh, a true Jew is somebody whose heart is circumcised. That's the point at which we finished last week. Now, here he says, but then what is the value of being a Jew? Are you saying that if you are a Jew then it is pointless then there is nothing good coming out of you it just if you are circumcised if you've done your part of being part of the religious judaic culture then there is nothing great about it is that what you're saying was to he says no that's not true yes there are great benefits and first of all the jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of god the whole oracle of god the whole prophetic dimension of who god is the the theology of god was entrusted into the hands of jews see paul is not saying that wait jews are special because of their uh, religious system Paul is not saying Jews are special because they get to go to synagogue once a week. Paul is not saying Jews are special because they are very righteous and very pure. Paul says Jews are special because they have been entrusted the revelation of God. So what sets you and I apart from the world is not the the religious practices that we do what sets us apart from everybody else is the fact that we have a revelation of who god is we understand there is a prophetic understanding of the heart and the mind of god that is what is the real treasure if you want to pursue something if you want to go after something don't go after just the uh, you know the externals of okay i want to just be like everybody else in my church no pray that you will have a revelation of who god is if you have a revelation of who god is if you have an understanding of his heart his mind for your life for your church for your city and your nation then you are truly rich then there is great value in who you are then 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 you're not ordinary then you're not like everybody else paul says here is why jews are special not because they live in canaan not because of the promises of god over their life not because of everything else that has transpired in history they are special because they have the revelation of who god is verse 3 it says true some of them were unfaithful now just because we have a revelation of who god is doesn't mean that we are all perfect and the the same thing was true about the jews it says that they had a revelation they had the whole revelation of who god is and yet some of them what what is the bible say they were unfaithful which means they didn't obey god they didn't submit to that revelation of god they didn't yield to the heart and the mind of god they they did not submit to god some of them they were unfaithful but just because they were unfaithful does that mean that god will be unfaithful so paul is asking a question saying hey i understand the fact that some of the jews they they didn't uh, you know submit to the revelation that was given to them some of us we have great prof- prophecies great revelations great understanding great wisdom that is 
given to us week after week. It could be in church, it could be during your personal times, wherever you expose yourself to God, you have a revelation of God. You have an understanding of who God is. But the thing is, do you, uh, do you remain faithful to that? Do you remain obedient to that? Do you submit yourself to that uh, revelation that God gives you? But Paul says, even when we don't remain faithful, even when we don't submit ourselves to that, God's promises remain the same. He remains faithful and he will not be unfaithful. And that's true about the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has been the most disobedient nation. They have been so favored by God and yet the most alienated from God. The Bible says he came unto his own, but his own, they rejected him. They, they said, we don't want this person. We, we don't want him at all. It says, does that mean that God will also be unfaithful to them? Verse 4, of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is still true. As the scriptures say, you will be proved right in what you say and you will win your case in court. He's in fact quoting one of the Psalms. This is the Psalm of David in Psalm 51 where he's, he's going through a time of turmoil. He's repenting before God. He's crying out for uh, forgiveness before God. And he's saying, when I sin, you, you, and when you speak a word, you will still be proved right. You will still be proved perfect. When I sin, when I fail, when I go crazy, when I live in sadness and darkness, your glory will still shine brighter. That's what David is trying to say. And Apostle Paul, he highlights that and he says, hey, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. And when we are in sin, it only highlights how good God is. It only highlights how right God is in saying what he has said. How right he is in giving us the law. How right he is in, in, in declaring these things over our lives. Sometimes we, we think that uh, our sin only shows how bad we are. Our sin, it shows how good God is. Our, our sin shows how perfect he is. Our sin shows how holy our God is. Our sin shows how, how, how bright, how glorious. You know, Isaiah, when he walked into the presence of God, it says that he looked at himself and said, Oh my God, I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe unto me, woe unto me. He started looking down on himself. Why? Because now he was seeing the holiness of God. Now he was seeing the glory of God. His, his sin got highlighted in the presence of God's glory. Now, sometimes, the, you know, this is Paul's argument. Let me not get ahead of that. It says in verse 5, but some might say, our sinfulness, it serves a good purpose for it helps people see how righteous God is. Why? You know, that's what Paul is trying to emphasize here. He says, our sinfulness helps people to see how righteous God is because there is only one who is holy. There is only one who is worthy. So when we sin and when we falter, it helps people see the righteousness of God. So isn't it unfair then for God to punish us? So Paul is being the devil's advocate here and he's saying, I'm speaking as a human being. I'm speaking merely as a human being. I'm speaking like everybody else. Now, if my sin highlights God's goodness, if my sin shows God's righteousness, if my unfaithfulness amplifies God's faithfulness, doesn't, is, isn't it unfair if God would punish me? Isn't it unfair if God would send me to hell for living a life of sin? Because I was doing God's job by, you know, highlighting his, uh, you know, the, so Paul is speaking from a human perspective. And then he gives the answer where it sits. He says, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? See, you should understand this. 
this God that we are talking about, he, he is not just the one that is, you know, a, a, a kind, loving king. He is also the judge of the whole world. And he is, Paul is establishing this thing that he is the one who is going to judge everybody and he's going to judge everybody fairly. And he says, yes, it is true that my sin, my unfaithfulness, my brokenness, my challenges, it amplifies God's righteousness. It shows off God's faithfulness. It shows off how good God is. And yet, it is not true that God is not fair. Yet, it is not true that God is not just. He is a just judge. And that is how he is qualified to judge the entire world. He is the person before whom we are going to stand and we are going to give an account for everything. You know, we can justify before a human being. But there's only one place where we cannot justify. There's only one place where we cannot defend ourselves. There's only one place where we cannot uh, try to prove ourselves right because it is not just our actions, but even our thoughts, motives, words, things that we've spoken in the darkness, in hiding. Everything is going to be brought to the light when we stand before him. That time, everything will judge us. Even our words will come back to haunt us back then. You know, and the Bible says he is a just judge. He's not unfair. He's not going to... Uh, you know, put a blame on somebody that, that doesn't deserve that blame. Verse 7, it says, But someone might still argue, How can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights His truthfulness and brings Him more glory? So, so you and I, who are, you know, speaking in a human perspective, you remember Paul said, I'm speaking merely as a human being. He's like, why, how can, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty, if my sin, it, it is only highlighting his truthfulness, verse 8. And some people even slander us by claiming what that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. <laughs> you understand, Paul is trying to deal with a problem here. He's dealing with an issue, a wrong doctrine that was running around in the church there. See, when we read it, we may feel, why is Paul talking like this? Why is Paul trying to, you know, say the more we sin? And he's trying to deal with some people who've been spreading a conversation, a kind of a theology in the church, a kind of a, 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 a saying in the church that encouraged people to sin. And then he says, hey, no matter what your reasoning is, no matter how you would put it, how you would defend, how you would sugarcoat your desire to do sin, sin is at the end of the day going to be judged. Sin is going to be punished. There is a punishment for sin. And, and, and he's saying, guys, don't let anybody, uh, he's using the word slander. Slander is a very serious word, right? He's saying, Slander is a very attacking word. He's saying, when they say that we said that because our sin brings glory to God, we should do more sin, man, that is slanderous. That is uh, attack on the highest order. Don't let anybody convince you that you can continue to live in a life of sin. No matter how good this gospel is that we are preaching, no matter how glorious this gospel is that we are preaching, no matter how, how freely we have access into God's presence because of this gospel, don't let anybody convince you that you can continue in sin because of the gospel, because of the goodness of God, because of the glory of God. Verse 9, he says, Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. See, if you read chapter 1, he was showing how Gentiles are under the power of sin. Do you remember that? He was showing how those that don't even have the law of God, by their conscience, they obey the law of God because it's, it's ingrained in them. 
you know there are thoughts that are ingrained in them there are desires that are ingrained in them to serve god to live for god and when they rebel against it when they don't give in to the uh, the revelation of god in the nature in the environment and they they go back to glorifying other things as god the bible says their minds get confused and they they lose that revelation of who god is we're talking about gentiles here and in chapter 2 Paul brought the concept of how Jews are also sinners. In chapter 1 he was attacking the ones that uh, didn't have a revelation of God. In chapter 2 he he is talking about how you guys you have the revelation of God and still you live like the same guys. You understand who God is and you still lie, you still cheat and you still disobey and you still have uh, uh, you know a life of disobedience. and he goes on to say say sin is the great equalizer of all of us he says well then should we conclude that jews or christians or believers those that come into the church those that have a religious morality are we better off than everybody else in the world no we are all equal why because if we have already shown that whether we are gentiles or we are christians or we are jews or whatever we are we are all under the power of sin we are all under we are all subjected to the power of sin we are all under the dominion of sin now paul begins to explain what does it look like for somebody to be under the dominion of sin are you ready so all of these things that paul is quoting he's quoting from the book of psalms okay most of the times i think with an exception of one sort one or two scriptures where he's referring to something from the book of Isaiah most everything he is quoting from the book of Psalms i think this is from Psalm 14 where he says as the scriptures say no one is righteous not even one no one absolutely nobody is righteous not even one why why is no one righteous why is everybody uh, under the power of sin he says verse 11 no one is truly wise because no one is seeking god see this is what makes sure that we are not under the power of sin he says he says everybody is subjected to the power of sin jews and gentiles alike everybody is nobody is righteous no not one why because nobody is truly consistently committedly constantly seeking god nobody is seeking god and because we don't seek god because we are not dependent on god because we are not leaning on god because we are not uh, clinging on to god we give in to the power of sin which means that you and i who are christians who are believers who are in the church the day that we think that we don't need to depend on god automatically we are going to depend on ourselves and automatically we are going to commit things do things which are going to be sinful now you're wondering why why is these desires coming into my heart why why am i feeling like this why why am i doing these things it's not because you you know your salvation is not true it's not because you're not a christian it's not because you're not a believer it's because any time that we slack in our seeking god any time that we slack in our waiting on god in our depending on god automatically we will go back to our normal original lifestyle so you should understand there are three levels of salvation the first level of salvation is that we are free from the penalty of sin the day that you got saved the day that you invited jesus into your heart the penalty of your sin has been taken away what is the penalty of sin wages of sin is death so eternal death has been taken away but then there is a difference there is a second level of salvation where you overcome the power of sin and that is why apostle paul would say with fear and trembling work out your salvation this is not to flee from the penalty of sin the penalty of sin was dealt with the day that you received jesus into your life now you have it inherited eternal life but now you're dealing with the power of sin 
every day when you depend on God rather than depending on yourself, you are yielding to the power of God than yielding to the power of sin because sin is a real force. And there is going to be a day when Jesus returns, when you will be transformed, then you will no longer be in the same flesh. That is the day when you will be freed from the presence of sin. So there are three levels. What is the first one? The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. We experience salvation in all these three. And that is why Paul would even say, we look forward to our day of salvation. He's not talking about the penalty or the power. He's talking about the presence of sin. He's saying we look forward to that day when the presence of sin will be taken out of our lives. Because after that, there will be no temptations. After that, we will not be in this body. You know that during the millennial rule of Jesus Christ, how many of you know that Jesus is coming to rule and reign on the earth? He will be the king of kings on the earth. He will be the lord of lords on the earth. Yeah? And during that time, sin will still be present on the earth. People will still die on the earth. People will still be cursed on the earth. You can read about this in the book of Isaiah where he says that the cursed one, when he dies, will be a hundred year old or something like that. Like uh, he'll be young when somebody's cursed, which means there is going to be sin and curse prevalent on the earth even when Jesus is king over the whole earth. But you and I, our bodies will be free from the presence of sin. Which means the same things that are temptations for us today will not be a temptations for us then. Isn't that amazing? Because at the end of the thousand year reign, the Bible says the devil will be released one more time and he will go and create chaos on the earth all over again. And he will create a huge army that will go and pick up a fight with Jesus one last time before he's thrown into hell for eternity. Now, the thing is, during this thousand year period, we don't have the presence of sin. But right now, we have the presence of sin. Right now, we, we battle with the presence of sin. We don't give in to the presence of sin. We, don't, we, we overcome the power of sin because the Bible says we have established that whether Jew or Gentile, Christian or non-Christian, baptized or non-baptized, whoever you are, you, we all have the presence of sin. We, so there is this continual dependence that is necessary so that we seek out God, we seek God, we wait on God, we yield ourselves to God on a daily basis. The day that we take that for granted. So you, can, you can actually... Um, look back into your history and talk about or think about all the big blunders you've made after you've become a believer. They didn't happen in a time when you were walking very closely with God. They didn't happen when you were praying. They didn't happen when you were meditating on the word of God. They happened in times when we chose to say, oh, I can handle this. I, I know, I'm, this is not a big temptation for me. Yeah. Come on, I've, I've lived lo- life long enough. This is not a big temptation. And then we fall into that ditch. We make that same mistake. We do the same thing. Why? Because we are not seeking out God's will. We are not waiting on God. This is something that I mentioned last week. And I will say it again. For us, we become prone to sin when we walk outside the purposes of God for our life. When we walk outside the will of God, Let me tell you this example. This is uh, King Hezekiah. You know the King Hezekiah in the Bible? The Bible says that Hezekiah, the Lord told him, put your house into order because it's time for you to go. Okay, it's time for you to, you know, leave. Now, Hezekiah was the man who brought revival in, in Judah. Hezekiah was the man that God used so powerfully. But Hezekiah said, no, 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 not, not, not cold. I'm not ready to go yet. I need an extension of time. And he prayed till God answered him, till God gave him what he wanted. But guess what happened? The next 15 years of his life was the worst years of his life. The next 15 years of his life, he walked out of that grace. The next 15 years of his life, he birthed 
people and things that would destroy what he would do in the last 30, 40 years of his ruling over Judah. At one point, the Bible says that the prophet came and told him, because of what you have done, your generations are going to perish. Your generations are going to be taken into Babylon as exiles. What would you and I do? We will sit and weep and cry and fast. And you know what Hezekiah said? Oh man, this is a good prophecy. Come on, how, how much of your senses should have been not working in place or not be in place for you to say that, oh, my children are going to die? Oh, that's a good prophecy. That's what, that's exactly, you can read your Bible. This is in the book of Isaiah. We've been reading Isaiah in this season in, in our daily Bible reading portion. You can check it out. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's there in Chronicles. This is what happened when Isaiah went and told him, you, uh, your children are going to perish. He said, oh, that's a, that's a good prophecy. At least it's not going to happen when I'm alive. That's what happened when he stepped outside the grace that was appointed for him, that was given for him. Now you and I, we will say, wow, Hezekiah prayed and then God gave him what he wanted. His prayer should have been, God, what is your will in this matter? Why do you want me to, you know? Because God saw things that the Bible says he had a son called Manasseh. That son, when he took over, he was eight year old, eight or 12 or year old. So he was within that 15 years that he was born. You remember Hezekiah had an extension of life for 15 years. It says Manasseh, he did so many evil things that even the kings of Israel and the pagan nations didn't do. He, he turned over the whole revival that Hezekiah had brought in the nation of Judah with that one you know, reign that Manasseh had. He, he just turned the whole thing upside down. So God saw this in advance. And God said, wait, it's good that you don't live that long. It's good that one of your sons who has seen this revival, who has been part and partial of this revival, take the throne after you. God knew what was happening. So what was Hezekiah's desire? What should have been Hezekiah's prayer? See, we, we are all running after healing and miracles and breakthrough and signs and wonders without sometimes understanding, God, what is your heart behind this? You know, I mean, I'm all for healing, by the way. I believe in healing. Please don't misquote me by saying, Pastor said it's not a good thing to pray for healing. No, I believe in healing. I, I contend for healing. I fight for healing. I pray for healing. But sometimes it's, it's, it's good to, you know, just stand back and ask, God, what is your will in this matter? What is, what is it that you're trying to do? What is, what, what, what is it? I want to seek your heart in this. If you've allowed this to come, I want to know where did it come from. I want, you, I want to know how did this have access into my life. I want to know what, what are you trying to do with my heart? What are you trying to do with my finances? I want to know. And when we seek out God, when we depend on God, then we will truly be successful. Then we will truly be living lives that is devoid of sin, that is not under the power of sin. Verse 11, he says, no one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. In other words, if you want to be wise, what do you do? Seek God. The wise men still seek after the king. The wise men came all the way seeking for a king, looking for where is Jesus born. The, the truly wise today are the ones that are still seeking him. You know, the, the fact is that Sometimes when we seek God, we, we get a revelation of who God is. We get an understanding of who God is. We get an encounter. And sometimes we get satisfied with that. And that stops us from a better revelation. That stops us from going further, going higher. But today I'm calling us back to that place of being truly wise. Where we seek God in every season of our lives. Verse 12, he says, For all have turned away. All have become useless. Now, because they are under the power of sin, because they don't seek God, what did they become? They First, they turned away, and now they have become useless. Now, on the outside, this is a very prospering nation. The, Israel, uh, the nation of Israel prospered. The, uh, the nation of Israel uh, went and experienced so much of glory. This is talking about when it was originally written in the book of Psalms. On the outside, 
it, it didn't look like uh, uh, you know it, that it was bad but on the inside God is looking at the inside and he says wait a minute all have become useless to me because they don't wait on me because they don't yield to me they have become useless he's saying he's saying this is the truth about everybody all have turned away and all have become useless no one does good not a single one no one practices what is good anymore their talk is foolish like the stench from an open grave their tongues are filled with lies snake venom drips from their lips is a result of what of living under the power of sin so it's you know i'm i'm just telling you a few things that apostle paul pointed out is a result of being under the power of sin he says their talk is foul jesus he constantly kept you know repeating this there was this one time i think it's in mark 7 where the religious people they apprehended him and said why is your disciples not washing their hands isn't it a good sanitary practice during covid season especially to keep sanitizing keep washing your hands why why is it that your people are not doing it and jesus said you know you don't get impure by the things that go into you you get you become impure by the things that come out of you by the things that come out of your mouth what jesus is giving us is a very big key He's saying if you can control your words if you can control what you speak James also highlighted this I think in James chapter 2 and 3 he said indeed we all make many mistakes for if we could control our tongues we would be wait a minute what is he saying we would be what perfect What is he saying if we can control our tongues we would be perfect so it's not just Jesus it's the apostles they are they are teaching the church a principle they are saying guys you you want to know what sets the course of your life it is the words that come out of your mouth you're constantly confessing saying oh i can i cannot overcome this i am going to be like this for the rest of my life i'm going to i'm never going to be able to make money i'm never going to be able to overcome this sickness i'm never going to be able to live free you're constantly speaking this from your mouth and then paul says hey venom comes out of your mouth like like how snake is spitting out venom that is how these words are coming out of your mouth and these words are self destructory these words are destroying yourself these these words are destroying who you are supposed to be in Christ Jesus and then James says hey if you can control your tongue you will be perfect in every other way you will be right Jesus says out of your heart comes everything that is foul and then it gets vomited through your mouth when you speak out it it comes out of your mouth and then once it comes out of your mouth it becomes your life because death and life are in the power of your tongue if you can watch what you speak because it's a result when this process is happening you seek god when this process is ha- happening you go to god's presence and say god is this truth is this this is this is how i'm feeling this is what i'm experiencing this is the this is what i'm being told by the world around me but is this true is this in alignment with what you say in your scripture if it's not then i don't want to believe it then i don't want to say it i don't want to open my mouth and declare that sometimes you know i've i've, I've gotten into trouble for teaching this because people say hey you're 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 being too fake and you're asking people to be fake and you're asking people to be liars but that's not true the bible says let the weak say this bible asking you to be fake or be liars no the bible is saying that in your weakness if his strength has to manifest then you need to declare that when i am weak then i am strong let the weak say that i am strong let the poor say i'm rich let the blind say i can see i can see i can see 
Let that be your confession. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 13, their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Wait a minute. I'm not speaking lies. I'm just speaking what the news channel is saying. That's not the truth. You want the truth, you open your Bible and you read the Bible and you declare what the Bible says and you confess what the Bible says and you speak what the Bible says and there you will find the truth. It says snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. All of this is a result of a heart that is subjected to sin. A heart that is not seeking God. The Bible says in verse 15, they rush to commit murder, destruction and misery. It always follows them. Verse 17, they don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. I like how the uh, Amplified Bible says there is no reverential fear of God before their eyes. He's now not just talking about their words. He's saying their eyes. They, they don't There is no layer, there is no filter of the fear of God in their eyes. So if, 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 if that is true about those that are subjected to sin, can we, can we pursue a different lifestyle by being subjected to God? By being subjected to a lifestyle of seeking God where we, where we say, Lord, let everything that I see, let it be from a perspective of fear of God. And everything that I say, let it be true. Let me not rush into doing destruction. Let, me, let there be no bitterness and unforgiveness in the words that I speak, in the, in the declarations that I make over somebody else. Let me be somebody that will withhold and tame my tongue. Because if I can do that, then I will be perfect in every other way. Verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show them that the entire world is guilty before God. Now, Apostle Paul is telling us about the importance of the law. He's saying, see, this is what is written in the Old Testament. This is what is written in the Bible. And he's saying, the purpose of writing all this is to give us no excuses before God. To make sure that we are aware of how much of a failure we are. It's so that we are aware of how broken we are. That is the purpose of the law. Because, you know, it's not possible that we can, uh, that anybody in the world, the whole world, everybody in the entire world is, they stand guilty before God. Verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Now, now if you're going to start from Genesis and you're going to say, okay, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. And you're trying to, trying to be perfect by keeping all the commands. Apostle Paul says you can't do it. It's, it's the purpose of the law is to show you how bad you are. It's to show us how guilty we are. Everybody, believers and unbelievers alike. It's to show us, it's to leave us without excuses. That is the whole purpose of the law. So we cannot be made right with God by holding on to the law. So just an awareness of the law. See, the law is supposed to only expose our weaknesses so that we don't have any excuses before God. Then it says in verse 21, are you ready for the good news in this entire chapter? It says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with God without keeping the requirements of the law as promised in the writings of Moses and as the prophets testified long ago. He's saying this method, this way of becoming right with God, this was testified in two places. It was there in, in the law of Moses. He told us that there will be a method of getting right with God. In the writing of the prophets, they also announced. Do you remember in chapter 1, we read this, how 
according to what the prophets foretold Jesus came at the right time he's saying now I'm announcing to you a way that the law and the prophets testified about agreed about he is still we, we, we are still in, in alignment with the Old Testament he's not saying okay throughout the Old Testament let me start something new he's saying what I'm about to tell you it is in alignment with what the law and the prophets have already told us and then he says verse 22 ready one two three go we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are he says now this is the way to be made right with God see this is the requirements the requirements is tremendous but none of us can keep all of those things so he's saying but here is a way to keep everything all the requirements of the law everything can be kept when you believe when you put your faith in Jesus we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus I, I like it how it says in the amplified translation it says it's by believing with personal trust and confidence confident reliance on Jesus Christ a personal trust and a confident reliance on Jesus that is how we have to live our lives is it possible for us to live sin free yes if you have faith is it possible for us to live a life that is hundred percent victorious hundred percent pleasing God hundred percent seeking out God yes if you are having that personal trust in Jesus see when we think of salvation and faith in Jesus we think it's about praying a salvation prayer that says oh Lord uh, from today onwards I believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life and I am a newborn believer we think that that's that's it no it's a daily process of depending on what Jesus can do for you can give you every day when you depend on Jesus when you depend on his power it says a personal trust and a confident reliance on Jesus that is what helps us to be made right with God and what do we do we we begin here like Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Galatia he said you began in the spirit by depending on Jesus but then you went back to your works of flesh you began by saying I, I, I trust Jesus to make me right and then you went back to keeping all the laws and hoping that you will be right no it doesn't work like that you need to stay in that place of personal trust and confident reliance on Jesus that is how we are made right with God verse 23 for everyone has sinned everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard we've all fallen short of the glory that was supposed to be for us we've all been found naked like how Adam and Eve when the glory left them and they found themselves naked and exposed and vulnerable we've all been found there all of us we have sinned now there is only one way to be made right with God it is to have that personal trust and that confident reliance on Jesus the person of Jesus he's the one who makes us right with God verse 24 yet God in his grace freely everybody said freely freely this grace it is free and it is graciously given to you and for me that is his grace and he says yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight he did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins you remember that verse 25 he says for God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life shedding his blood this sacrifice 
shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. He, he is trying to tie the notch from what he is trying to say from the beginning. And he's saying, hey, the point of all of this is in Christ Jesus. And he, and he uses this word in the other translation, which is propitiation. It is only used in terms of appeasing God, appeasing a deity. That's the only place where this term is used in dictionary. And he says, Jesus did this atoning work where because of what Jesus did. Now, he's saying, I know that some of you feel that it's unfair that you will be judged for uh, a mistake, for your sin, for your, uh, uh, for your lack of honesty, for your unfaithfulness, when it actually highlights the goodness and the glory and the grace of God. But this is what also God also did. What God also did is freely, without charging you anything, what he did is freely and graciously, with his grace, he made a way for you and for me. Through Jesus. Now when we trust in him, does that sound fair? That doesn't sound fair. Because my punishment, the punishment of my sin, he took the punishment of my sin. He took everything that I did wrong, he took it upon himself and by the shedding of his blood, when I believe, let me read that again. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented, this father, he presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Now, you and I, we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. When, when, when we believe that, when we accept that, when we, when we recognize that, when that becomes our personal trust, when that becomes our confident reliance, that is when we are made right with God. I'm talking to you about the gospel according to Apostle Paul. He's saying it's not as easy as you think it is. He's saying it requires for you to believe in what Jesus has accomplished for you. He says this, you know, this, this proves that all of us are sinners. This proves that our sin in fact brings glory and honor to God. It also proves that what we didn't deserve, what the grace that we didn't deserve was given to us. It shows how much God loves us and, and He freely gave Himself up for us. He presented us with Jesus. So now when we believe in Jesus, we can walk with God. When we believe in Jesus, we can live a victorious life. When we believe in Jesus, we can live a free life. Verse 26, it says, For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. I, I, I like uh, how the other translation calls it, calls God as the just and the justifier. He is just because he is the righteous judge of everybody. Not only is he the just judge, but he's also the justifier. Because in Christ Jesus, he justified us. He, he made us right with God. So he's not just the righteous God, but he's also the God that is making us righteous. He's not just the just God who is right in everything, but he's also the justifying God. This is the gospel of the just God and the justifying God. The just and the justifier who Jesus is to us. He's just. There is no way he will come out as somebody that is uh, wrong in any of this. We are the ones who are wrong. We are the ones who have defaulted. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who have gone wrong. And yet, he has made a way. He has justified us by giving us his son. Jesus. 
verse, the next verse. It says, so can we boast? He's asking a question. So can we, can we, uh, can we say, oh, wow, I, have, I am such a good Christian. I have prayed so hard. I have done so much. Can we boast? No. He says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. We are not against the law. We are not fighting the law. We are not fighting the uh, scriptures. But it says we are made right not by the law. We are made right by faith. Verse 29, he says, after all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he the God of the Gentiles also? Of course he is. There is only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith. Whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does it mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So Paul brings it all to this point where he says, wait a minute, you need to now have faith. You need to now have that confident reliance and personal trust in this just and this justifying God. This God who has made just one way for the Jews and for the Gentiles. There's only one way that anybody can experience salvation. That anybody can experience a life that is not under the power of sin. There's only one way. And that is through faith in the propitiation work. When Jesus was the one that was put on the line, put in the gap, in the place of your sin and my sin, where by the shedding of his blood, when we believe in what Jesus did, when we cling on to that, when, whenever the enemy tempts you, you can run and cling on to what Jesus did because he, Jesus was tempted too. Whenever the enemy accuses you, you can run and cling on to Jesus because he was accused too. And he was the only one found perfect. He was put in our place. Now he stands in the gap for you and for me. There's only one who is holy. There's only one who is worthy. And he's the one that brings freedom. He's the one that brings answers. He's the one who brings solutions to all of us today. Are you ready to pray? Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11 a.m. at youtube.com slash God bless you and have a blessed week.